Welcome into another edition of the Bama Baseline Podcast. I'm James Fletcher alongside Luke Ratliff. we got a great show for you guys. We took off last week uh, for the holiday season celebrating Christmas. Uh, we did get a chance to do a live stream. Uh, hope you guys were able to tune into that on Instagram Live. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Spent some time answering some questions. Uh, but since we've last spoken, Alabama has played basketball. We'll talk about that basketball. Uh, we'll get you ready for the conference schedule, uh, what to look forward to in the next week. We play, of course, against Ole Miss tonight. We'll try to get this up in time for you guys to listen to that preview. And then we have your preview for Tennessee on the road, Alabama's first really big test of the season. And so uh, we'll tell you what to expect in that one on the road. After we come back from a break, we will then discuss everything that's kind of going on around college basketball. Uh, We'll get you Luke's notes. Uh, We'll talk about some different things going on around the country and within the program. And then instead of a list this week, Luke, I think we're going to do a pick them. Is that right? That's right. I've got five games from around the conference happening – Today and tomorrow, uh, today's of course Tuesday, tomorrow Wednesday, and uh, we're going to give you the lines courtesy of college of uh, Vegas Insider, excuse me, and we're going to let you, we're going to pick them for you. But uh, disclaimer before we even get to that, we are not gambling experts. Uh, please, no. I'm of course not a doctor. Please don't take my word on anything. No, definitely not. But uh, as we get into it today. Uh, of course, Luke, forgot to welcome you to the show, but welcome into the show. Let's talk about the conference or non-conference, excuse me, schedule as it's gone down so far. What have we learned about this Alabama team in the first few games of the season here? We've learned about this team that is not the offensive team from last year. Uh, on paper, of course, uh, the sets are still running. The offense is still running the way it's supposed to. But there has been some growing pains, of course, adding new players into the system or onto the roster, rather. And, uh, the, of course, I think the biggest takeaway from the non-conference is we – I think we all as a people, as a fan base, underestimated or undervalued Kyra Lewis and his impact on the team. Uh, but, of course, towards the end, things started to look up um, of course, I'm talking about this East Tennessee State game. Most recently happened. Alabama won by 16 points, uh, 85 to 69 over the Bucks. But um, it's just we've we've learned a lot of things about the team, and I think looking back now on the non-conference, we can say that the pandemic and the absence of scrimmages and uh, exhibition games in the preseason against real competition has really sort of taken a toll on the team. And we can see that around the country too, as well as the conference. Uh, You're looking at, of course, South Carolina, who hasn't played in, I think, a month. They haven't played. uh, They've only played three games this season. And Kentucky, of course, who is not at all prepared. I got some things for them later. But they they were not at all prepared for the season, in my opinion. But – Still we beat on, like uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald said, still we beat on, boats against the current, born back ceaselessly into the past. And uh, we're on the precipice of conference play now, and there's no turning back, James. No, there really isn't. But, Luke, there's one thing that's just stuck with me. We've seen this team improve defensively. We've seen uh, some of the players get into to a – a little bit more of a groove than we saw earlier in the season. Obviously, some still struggling. Uh, we finally saw some turnover in the starting lineup in those last couple games of non-conference play. But the one thing that's been consistent through it all that I have a question about, are we a good shooting team? Can we shoot the ball from deep? Because I don't know if we can. All this season we've talked about, you got to wait for the shots to start falling. You know, we know the shots are going to start falling. Last year the shots were falling, but this year they still are not falling. We're just about two months into the season now and 30% from three as a team. It has not been pretty. And, of course, that 30% aided 
uh, by last game's heroics from Jaden Shackelford, who shot eight of 13 in that game alone. So can, can we shoot the basketball or do we have to adjust? I don't know. I don't know. You know, of course, that, that, and we've said it. We've done what now, six shows? We've said it ever since after the first game that Alabama – these kids can shoot. These players can really shoot the cover off the ball. Um, <laughs> it's not going down right now. And that's the thing. That, but that's, sometimes you can blame that on basketball. That's the sport. Sometimes you have off-shooting nights. Uh, but it's been an off-shooting season so far for Alabama yeah. that's very uncharacteristic of the players. You said it's shooting only uh, 30, uh, 30% from three on 30 attempts per game which is not a good clip at all, uh, making only 10 out of uh, 30 shots on average. But it's – I don't know. It, we sort of seen a little hope, and you mentioned it right then. Uh, the last game against East Tennessee State, one Jayton Shackelford reappeared and uh, really helped aid Alabama's efforts from behind the arc with his stellar performance, um, knocking down eight threes against East Tennessee State. And hopefully that, that's, a, that's a point where Alabama can look and say, hey, we got some momentum, we're finding our groove, we're playing the right way, and we're playing the right way at the right time going into conference play, the toughest stretch of the year, in my opinion, the first five games of conference play, uh, which I'll talk about later. But, you know, James, hopefully that sparked something. Hopefully they had a really good week of practice. I mean, we, I mean I've said it again. We know these guys can shoot the ball, but they're just not falling right now. And when they do fall, when that when that levy finally does break, you're, we're expecting to see the same Alabama offense that we saw last year. Yeah, and I think to add to that, this NATO NATO's offense, as we've seen throughout the the first two years of it, or year and a half uh, now, it's all about ball movement, spacing and taking the open shots. But part of the offense uh, that gets lost because they take so many threes is that it's not just designed to shoot threes. It's designed to shoot the best and most open shot. And analytically, the three-pointer is typically the best shot. But if you're shooting at this low of a clip, the best shot then becomes something else, whatever you are able to knock down. And so – I, I wouldn't be surprised if going into conference play, we start to see a shift, especially if it, it doesn't turn around in these first couple of games to a lot more cuts to the basket, a lot more backdoor passing, things like that. Sure. You have to let Petty shoot. You got to let Shackelford shoot. Those are your two guys who you know can hit at a high level, but maybe you start getting Bruner on a, a pick and roll going towards the basket instead of popping back out to the three. Maybe you get, uh, obviously, Herb Jones, we know, is one of the best at standing that in that dunker spot or coming off of the off of the wing or in the corner and cutting towards the basket. Maybe you get some more of that than we've seen uh, so far this season. I think Jawan Gary, who we've seen get an increased role in this offense, is someone to watch as that progresses as well. Somebody who is better around the basket than he is on the perimeter. And again, if the shots aren't falling on the perimeter, you got to find a way to score points. That's right. And I think he's touched on something there, talking about Jawan Gary, uh, how he's sort of coming to his own, even though we, Alabama, of course, lost the game against Western Kentucky. He played uh, more minutes in that game and played very well and very efficiently and very hard. You, you talk about, you hear Coach Oates talk about it all the time play hard and, you know, uh, th- that blue collar style, dive for loose balls, jump for rebounds, fight for position. For, for position. He embodied that in both the Western Kentucky game and as well against East Tennessee State. And I think towards the end of the non-conference, we're seeing players uh, sort of stand out and sort of embody that blue collar spirit, that culture that Coach Oates is continuing to build at the University of Alabama. I think about Keon Ellis, who is, my, in my opinion, he's played well in his role. See. He's not here, uh, in my opinion, to really be a prolific scorer, even though he has that ability in him. He's here to be in the right spot at the right time. He's here to play on-ball defense. 
he's a defensive presence on the floor, and he's settled well in that role this year uh, or towards the end of the conference play. And you've seen it how in the second half against East Tennessee State, for some steals, had a hand in the passing lane at all times, really good on-ball pressure. But most importantly, you're seeing players at the end of non-conference be in the right place at the right time. And I think about Jordan Bruner had a really good game last game against East Tennessee State where he's at the right place to get to force an offensive – to get an offensive rebounder, uh, playing well within the system uh, to get those open shots under the basket or fight. He, he knows the system now and he's getting in places. And we're seeing that – from different people towards the end of the conference play, and you can non-conference play, you can only hope that it carries into conference play starting the night against Ole Miss. Yeah, definitely, and that leads us right into our previews. Uh, we'll start, of course, with Ole Miss. Uh, first conference game of the season for Alabama and for Ole Miss. Uh, they'll play at Coleman Coliseum tonight at, uh, I believe it is 6 p.m., correct? No, it's nine. It's eight o'clock. Am I wrong? It's eight o'clock. Sorry, yeah. I got the eight o'clock. The there. Well, I wish it was at six. I hate these eight o'clock tip-offs. Yeah, eight o'clock tip. But nonetheless, Alabama playing Ole Miss tonight. Ole Miss one loss on their record. It was to a very, it was to a, a very experienced Dayton team most recently, where Ole Miss had a really good lead in that game and blew it in the second half. I was very surprised. But I've talked on this show before, James, talking about Ole Miss, how some of the players are very undisciplined at times. I've talked about, and I'm about to talk about it in a second, Devontae Shuler, uh, other players, Brian Tyree, undisciplined players that don't know how to uh, control the leader, can't control their emotions and stuff like that. But this, this year it's sort of different. Ole Miss is playing much they, – they got a couple of transfers, and we're going to talk about one in a sec, but – They've gotten a couple of players, and they've grown within themselves, and they've played very well this year to their strengths, and they're a very good shooting team so far. They're very experienced. They have great senior leadership, led, of course, by the aforementioned Devontae Shuler, who last year, James, or in his previous years, has played well within the role of just being a compliment to Brian Tyree, who was, albeit my personal enemy, was a really good ball player. Yeah. Schuler facilitated well and got out of the way for uh, Brian Tyree, but Tyree's not there this year, and he has really stepped up. He's averaging 15 points a game, 40% from behind the arc. He's a very efficient player. He's shooting – he's got 52% efficient field goal uh, percentage, and uh, 44% of his shots are from behind the arc. And he's making 40% of those. So yeah. he's playing really well in this, as a senior this year for Kermit Davis' squad. And uh, it's showing so far this season. It has. And, and this is a, a little bit deeper of a team than we've seen uh, from Ole Miss in some of the previous seasons. Obviously, you have Schuler at the top who you hit on. Romello White, a transfer who's come in and played really well for them, averaging double digits. Uh, but then you get – on down the roster and you look at guys like Austin Crowley, who you know can contribute, uh, Matthew Morell, a freshman who, who's a very good basketball player, a four-star prospect, uh, and it just – Robert Allen even, the transfer from Stanford. Just there, there's so much more to this roster. They go deeper. They have real talent all across the court. And so I think that they're a team you got to keep your eye on. Uh, if we're talking about somebody other than Schuler, who's going to go off on you, though, I think it's got to be Romello White, uh, one of their forwards, who's played very well, of course, uh, from Arizona State, the transfer. He's averaging uh, now on the season 11.5 points per game. Uh, he doesn't take threes. He's taken one all season. Uh, so mm -hmm. he's, a, he's a traditional big man. So it'll be a handful for Bruner, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, I hope he's up for the task. Absolutely. You talk about him. He doesn't take threes, and he's a uh, – Kermit Davis likes – Ole Miss runs this uh, four-out motion, one-in, four-out motion offense, and he's the centerpiece of it, much like uh, – not to the same degree, but much like Iowa does with Luca Garza, uh, yeah. where he's sort of the anchor of the offense, and the offense tries to work into him. Uh, 
Ole Miss does the same thing, really, with Romello White. You said that he's a really good player. Played three years previously at Arizona State, where he averaged double digits uh, in each season, I believe, either each season or two or three seasons. But he averaged double digits for Bobby Hurley's team. He's a very good player. And one thing that stuck out to me is he's a player that plays very well without fouling. He doesn't commit very many fouls. He knows how to play defensively, more much like you see Herb Jones play for Alabama. Um, obviously, different size than Herb Jones. He's 235 pounds. Yeah. But he no, he's a very good defensive player and doesn't and plays well within his rights in uh, in terms of fouling. I think yeah. that's a key. Another player, James. Uh, this is my sleeper player. I know we like to do sleeper. Uh, yeah, players. I got I got one myself. So we'll see if we have the same one here. Yeah, you talk. You briefly mentioned his name just a second ago, but Matthew Morrell, number forty-one player in the class, freshman out of Memphis. Um, the guy, the guy's only got four and a half points on the season, averaging four and a half points on the season, and he only plays fifteen minutes per game so far. But he's very efficient. He, he's he's a very efficient player. He plays well. When Ole Miss plays well, when he is on the floor, uh, much like you saw in the second half of the last game when Keon Nellis or Jawan Gary were on the floor for Alabama against East Tennessee State, they didn't get the bulk of the minutes, but the Alabama played well, and they did play well within themselves during the time they were on the floor. This is the way Matthew Morrell plays. Uh, he doesn't score much, but when he does score uh, or when he does shoot the ball, he's shooting – uh, from three, over half of his shots are from behind the arc. And he uh, makes a good percentage of shots. But he's 41% efficient field goal percentage on the year. Uh, he plays well within his rights. He's, he's, he's there. He's settled into a role. He knows what he's doing on the team. Yep, and I will, I'll add to that. Uh, Morell is somebody who I've seen play for quite a while, going back to his high school days. He is, of course, from Memphis. So uh, I've seen plenty of his game. And I'll add that. You said he doesn't score much. He hasn't scored much yet. I'll put that asterisk there. He hasn't scored much yet. He is a very talented freshman uh, guard. And in their last game out, he shot five of seven, including three of five from three, scored 13 points in 24 minutes. So it looks like his role is starting to increase for this Ole Miss team. And he's a guy that they really want to get involved. So uh, early in the season, he wasn't scoring much. But that doesn't mean, look, we saw it with Shackelford. When conference play kicked off, he hit another level and was averaging uh, – it was a huge jump from what he was averaging in non-conference to what he averaged in conference play. That's right. And before we move on uh, to previewing this very good Tennessee squad, Alabama is going to play Saturday at 5 o'clock in Knoxville. I want to add one thing to Ole Miss. Ole Miss has been playing basketball for 111 years. 111 years It's been a long time. Ole Miss has a career record of 1,333 and 1,333. They are exactly 500 (laughs) heading into Coleman Coliseum as a program tonight. So, in terms of not just getting off for Alabama, not just getting off on the right foot in conference, in conference play, this game tonight is the deciding factor – to if Ole Miss is a winning basketball program or not. It is. Imagine playing, for, imagine playing for 111 years, and it all comes down to a Tuesday night game at 8 p.m. against Alabama to decide whether it was all worth it. It's the best sport on earth, isn't it, James? <laughs> it really is. Oh, man. So let's move on now, James. Let's talk about this Tennessee squad who is – I think they speak for themselves, really. They yeah. are fantastic. Rick Barnes has done it again. He's developed players yet again. Yeah, he's developed players. He's brought players in who are high-level talents. He's convinced them to wait around for their turn somehow, which you don't see very often in college basketball. But this is a team that just – I mean, they can throw so many things at you from talent to just little little odd side notes that make you scratch your head and say – are, are they just messing with this? I know first game of the season, Tennessee started an all-left-handed lineup. I think it was the first time it had maybe ever happened where you start five guys who were left-handed. And it was, you know, it, they didn't 
they didn't put either of their big five-star guards on the court to start that game. And that, that just speaks to Tennessee, how deep they are, how good they are, how tight-knit they are as a team, and really what Rick Barnes is working with up in Knoxville. Absolutely. You know, James, this Tennessee team, before we get into specifics about players, uh, this Tennessee team is really good defensively. We've seen this in the past from good Rick Barnes teams. They're really good defensively. They only average 52 – they only allow 52 points per game uh, from their opponents. And this is the one that got me, I think – and, like, this is this is ridiculous. They – their opponents average less than .9 points per possession – against them, which that's the mark of a good defensive team, is if you can keep that below one point per possession or below .95 points per, per possession, excuse yeah. me, you're a really good defensive team. But they, they, they force opponents to take bad shots. And here's the key, and we saw this last year in Coleman Coliseum against Tennessee, and I never, I never complain about officiating because it's a very tough job to do. Uh, but opponents against Tennessee – do not get to the free throw line. They only average 11 free throws, uh, free throw attempts per game, and I think that's good for second in the nation, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so one of two things are happening, because Tennessee gets to the line quite often, if I can remember correctly. Let me, I didn't write this down, but Tennessee gets 22 free throws per game uh, yeah. as opposed to 11, so 10 more. So that's either one of two things. They're a very good defensive team. They can play well within their rights as a defender which is the most uh, re uh, reasonable explanation, or the officiating, as we all know, in Thompson Bowling Arena at the University of Tennessee can be a little bit skewed. But saying that all, all that, they're a really good defensive team. And, James, I don't think you can talk more about this team without talking about Eve Ponds. He is. He is very good. He, he's one of those guys you love to talk about as the – the Rick Barnes kind of guy. He showed up on campus looking like a normal dude, and now he's leaving as this chiseled piece of granite who's going to go on to the NBA. Uh, he's averaging – his numbers don't tell this whole story, averaging seven and a half and six uh, as their power forward, but he's, he's right up there as one of the best defensive players in the country. I believe he's one of the favorites to win Defensive Player of the Year uh, mm -hmm. at this moment, and, and he just – Along with John Fulkerson, it, it's one of the best duos that you'll see uh, in the post. And John Fulkerson's the guy I, I think I think he's the heart and soul of this team. I know you like Pons. I, I don't think this team goes as as well as it does without John Fulkerson because he he's not your your typical star player. No, you know, no. he's a guy who came up through Tennessee, wasn't expected to be their second leading scorer this season. But here he is, and he's making the most of it. He's joking uh, in the locker room along the way, and he's accepting his role, and that helps everyone else accept their role. When your superstar is willing to be less than a superstar, it makes it a lot easier for the young guys to accept that they're not yet the superstar. That's right. And, you know, he's we. I think we talked about this on the Instagram Live uh, and if you were there, if you're a listener and you were listening to the watching the Instagram live last Tuesday on my Instagram between James and I, because we did that in absence of a show, we talked about um, some players. College basketball is special because there are players who are really, really good in college. And uh, I, I think of Tyler Hansbrough, a four year All American in North Carolina. There are players like Tyler Hansbrough who are really, really good in college, who are never the most talented player on the floor and will probably never pan out in the NBA, but they are really good in their role, and that's the beauty of this sport. John Fulkerson, it sounds like a, a detriment on him. Uh, it sounds like I'm chastising him for being yeah, it's not like a, it's like a game manager quarterback. <laughs> yeah, right. I promise you I'm not, but he's one of those players that you don't expect him to be this good, but he is. He's a really good player. Uh, he's plus 10.5 per 100 possession, uh, possessions in the plus minus, which is – Incredible. Uh, plus insane. than a half per 100 possessions. And here's something that got me. He's 47. He has a 47% free throw rate, uh, which means he gets to the line nearly every two attempts from the field. He'll get to the line. 
And that, that's crazy. I want to go back to Eve Ponzo because I can't talk enough about him. And we got another player to get to for Tennessee. I mean, it just goes on and on. I mean, and we, on, but... we could talk about eight, nine deep on their roster as guys who could hurt you. It's... I, I'm telling you. But Eve Pons, Eve Pons is a specimen. I mean, he came, he was all skin and bones when Rick Barnes got him. And Rick Barnes made him into a, a monster, really. He looks like a, 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 you know, he looks like a Michelangelo-like sculpt, sculpture of a person. He's, he's incredible. But – He's a specimen. He's off to a slow start this year. You talked about it. And I can't – you know, he usually shoots uh, – last season he shot 35% from beyond the arc. And I, given he didn't take very many shots per game, but he shot – he made 35% of which is – albeit good, right? This year that number's down to 18%. Uh, he's not shooting as well from behind the arc. But when he does get shots at the rim or in, in the paint, he makes nearly 50% of them. Um, we've seen for Eve Pons this year, this is what's strange to me, and this might just be because Tennessee's got so many people. I mean, that, you, you look, you got Josiah Jordan, James, Jayton Springer, all these guys. Viscovi's playing well again. Eve Pons is only playing 26 minutes a game as opposed to the 34 played last year. I mean, it's it's crazy. And I think that's a testament, not really to Eve Pons getting off to a slow start, but there's just so many guys that have to play for Rick Barnes' squad, including a tra- and somebody who sat out last year, transfer for or- from Oregon, uh, Victor Bailey. Yeah, we who haven't was, even talked about him yet, and he's leading the team in scoring. <laughs> this team is – like, Rick Barnes will do this. He'll have a really, really, really good team one year and then go a year or two uh, middle of the road in conference, you know, maybe get ranked once in the AP poll. Yeah. Uh, but then come back and it's a powerhouse team, and that's what he's done this year. Uh, Victor Bailey, though, transferred from Oregon. He sat out last year. He, too, like John Fulkerson, is plus 10.5, plus minus um, per 100 possessions. And he shoot nearly he, – like, he's nearly got a 60% efficient field goal percentage. And it's – <laughs> the guy finds good ways to get good shots. He can shoot the light off – the cover off the ball when he gets it. Yeah, of course. Uh, I think we've touched on just about the whole roster here, and we haven't even – some of the guys who don't play big minutes, they can still hurt you if they get in the game and are able to play big minutes. So Tennessee, uh, it, it will be quite possibly Alabama's toughest challenge they face the entire season. Because yeah. how do you game plan for this team? We've sat here and talked about them for 10, 15 minutes and haven't even gotten as deep as we could into – what each of them does for this team. So uh, a really tough team for uh, Alabama to go up against. They're going to have to uh, come out with a lot of fire. And we know they get up for big games. We know John Petty loves playing uh, against Tennessee. He has some of his best games against the Vols. So hopefully he will be uh, red hot for that one. Uh, When we come back from this break, uh, we will have more for you. We're going to talk about uh, the SEC, how it's shaping up, uh, some of the teams that have impressed us, some that have depressed us, and a whole lot more. So stick around on the Bama Baseline Podcast. Welcome back in to the Bama Baseline Podcast, world's only Alabama basketball podcast. I'm Luke Ratliff along with James Fletcher. And James, we were talking about the first segment, uh, briefly, of course, the non-conference is over. We're all heading full steam ahead in the conference scheduling um let's talk about some teams let's bring back one of our best segments depressed impressed where we give you the teams that we are impressed on and depressed on so james what teams have depressed you this season oh teams that have depressed me all right so we we went through obviously Month number one, we, we recapped the first month of college basketball. Kentucky made the list. They're not off of it. They're not out of the clear yet. Uh, but I'm just going to leave them alone for now, all right? Yeah. Please. And I'm going to go with Michigan State. Michigan State, who coming into the season, everyone was pretty high on. I think uh, they thought they would be a top ten team, be in contention for the Big Ten title, all that that they always are under uh, Coach Izzo. And so far, it's just not panning out. They're, uh, they're, they're struggling early in the season. They're 6-3, and three, uh, but they rank 49th at Kimpom. And as we know, you want to be in that top 40 if you want to lock yourself into the tournament, top 35 
is essentially a, a guarantee that you're in the tournament, but 49th is really cutting it close there bubble wise and Michigan state, of course, they'll have plenty of quad one opportunities and conference play, but those also aren't gimme games either. You got to go through Iowa. You got to go through Ohio state who's still ranked. There's so many teams uh, in that conference. And so Michigan state could be in some trouble here as they approach conference play. And my second one, and I hate to pick on them, but it, it's got to be uh, the one, the only Mississippi Valley State uh, University. I'll lump them in with Chicago State. Actually, the two of them. I mean, I, I know you gotta. I know you gotta try, but man, it, it's been a rough season for both. Uh, they're you know Mississippi Valley State at zero and eight, and I think their closest game is about forty point margin. Uh, they of course famously gave up on, like. 300 points to Arkansas uh, earlier this year, which we've talked about. I'm, and, you know, they're trying. Uh, I watched one game though, where I, I watched them play against Memphis and the, the common the poor commentator, of course, they're, they're getting into to blow out talk. They're, they're just trying to find topics and uh, Memphis just running up and down the court, just taking the ball from them, dunking on the other end. And the commentator says, well, if you're wondering why Mississippi Valley State is still running at this pace when they have no business doing so, it's really as a favor to Penny Hardaway. And I thought, man, what an ultimate (laughs) comment on Mississippi Valley State, their players and the value that this team brings. They are – continuing to turn over the ball as a favor to Penny Hardaway, really. That's that's what the commentator – You know, you know, James, James, you told me before we started this segment that you had a team you were depressed on that <laughs> that I wouldn't believe. And I can, I'm sitting here today, and I cannot believe that in a pandemic you were picking on openly Mississippi Valley State. You could have said Mississippi State. I'm going to say Mississippi State. That's fine. You know, look – here, here's the thing. They've been on my – and maybe it's just because I've seen them play multiple times because they've played teams that I would tune in to watch, right? They've played Arkansas. They've played Memphis. Maybe that's why. Maybe I wouldn't care if it was South Carolina State, who is two positions above them at Kim Palm, uh, you know, third <laughs> from the bottom. Uh, maybe I wouldn't care. But, man, I've seen them play, and it is it is depressing to watch them play. Chicago State, same way. Uh, I believe they finished their season, and I'm not 100% sure because I, I don't know how to go back and look um, post-game at the lines. But what I was told is that Chicago State, who has canceled the remainder of their season, they have gone home. They have decided not to continue playing basketball. Dude, soon come. Yeah. <laughs> Chicago State was 0-9 against the spread. And the spread often was set at 30-plus points. So, yeah, it's been a rough season yeah. for some of these these teams at the bottom uh, who are just trying to make some money, you know, get get brought into an arena to play a game. And I don't blame them, but it is depressing to watch. Yeah. Well, James, while you're out in Ken Palm, you're at the very bottom mailing in this segment by looking at the two worst teams in Ken Palm. Why don't you scroll to the top and tell us who you're impressed on? All right. We're going to scroll right on up uh, to the top of the page. Uh, But really, uh, and I'm going to say this, and they are number one at Kimpom. I'm actually looking at it now, and it's ironic. But uh, Gonzaga, and I know I said them in the first one, and I left out Kentucky because I said them in the first one, but Gonzaga, oh, man, they are just so good. And every time I watch them, they look even better. It's unreal to watch how good that team is. But beyond that, I'm going to go with Missouri. Hold hold on. I've got some things for Gonzaga later, but you watched them play Virginia, didn't you? Yes. Holy cow, man. I was, I I, like, I don't Earlier this year, I almost put Virginia, Virginia, excuse me, not Virginia, Virginia, put Virginia in my uh, depressed column. uh, And I don't think I can because what are you supposed to do? against Gonzaga. They got three All-Americans, in my opinion. I don't know. Uh, I mean, uh, and you see Corey Kispert, he just doesn't miss threes now. Uh, it's it's unbelievable to watch them play. If you had told me one of those teams in that matchup was in the ACC and one was in the West Coast Conference, 
I would have had it the other way around based off the way that game went, but uh, they are just in a league of their own right now. And now uh, moving on, I got Missouri. Uh, We've talked about them plenty on this show. We both love what they're doing there. Uh, They're undefeated. They're a veteran team. That's what you need, especially this year in college basketball. You need veterans who know the system, who are bought in, who are going to just go out there and, and, have that chemistry that these young teams can't build teams like Kentucky. They can't build chemistry. Missouri didn't have to build any. It was already there. And so you're seeing their success as they skyrocket through the AP poll uh, each and every week. And my last one is going to be Texas and Shaka smart. How about him having Texas in the top 10, both in the AP poll and at Ken Palm, uh, a great and kind of somewhat unexpected, I would think, because Greg Brown hasn't played as well as some thought he would. Shaka Smart, it hasn't phased him one bit. Uh, they were hot at the end of last season, and they're carrying it into this year. Texas is a team to watch. Absolutely. And uh, I, can't, I can't believe you said that. Who would have thought about Shaka Smart having Texas where he, especially with his new hair, you've seen it. He looks yeah, like it's incredible. Here. You know, he did an interview uh, recently and attributed the success that Texas is having this year to his hair resurgence. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on. I'm going to give you my depressed teams now. And much right. like you, James, I am depressed on the Michigan State Spartans because, mm-hmm. yes, they, they've lost four games. They're still ranked, but they've lost four games going the conference play. And, uh, you know, of course, well, they're in conference play now, pardon me. The Big East does it early, which I believe is a sin against college basketball to start <laughs> the conference play before New Year's week. Um, but they've, they've lost games – to Northwestern and Wisconsin and Minnesota. You know, these teams really you're supposed to lose to because they're good. But I, I'm i not seeing anything good from them. I mean, they, they barely escaped Detroit. They barely escaped, uh, even though it was a nearly 20-point game, it was closer than it played against Oakland um, in the non-conference. I just – I'm not seeing a lot from them this year. And – Again, that that Big Ten conference is – I mean, it's ridiculous because you've got Illinois, Wisconsin, who lost to Maryland last night, of course. Uh, Northwestern, who's playing really good. Of course, Michigan's ranked again. Yep. Ohio State. Just all these – every team in that conference is good, even Rutgers. Yeah, right. <laughs> about Rutgers being good. That, 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 that conference is going to eat itself alive. Uh, it's cannibalism, really. But uh, another team I'm depressed on is North Carolina. You know, the mm. team of my home state. Uh, they are man. I'm just, like they've, they've, uh, yeah, they lost to Iowa. I can forgive that. But it's like they're not playing well. They lost a really tough game to NC State of all people, who's not good this year. Kevin Keats' team is not good. Uh, in North Carolina, you said that during the break, North Carolina, when is Roy Williams going to understand that you cannot play the game today with four centers on the floor? You can't do it. <laughs> He's going to recruit one point guard and four centers in every class. He's trying to, <laughs> he's trying to invoke that Dean Smith four corners offense where he had the four big guys at four corners and Phil Ford running around in the middle. Yeah. He's trying to invoke that. You cannot do that today. Players are just too good. Um I'm depressed on the way they're playing, but impressed on the other hand, staying in the ACC, Virginia Tech. Yeah. They were playing that. I mean, they, they beat Villanova earlier in the year. They, I believe their one loss. Hold on. Let me make sure I got this right before I speak heresy on it. (laughs) (laughs) Their one loss was to Penn state, which was a fluke. I don't know how that happened Mm -hmm. in Virginia Tech, but they beat Villanova. They beat in, uh, Vatek, a really, really good Clemson team who we saw as Alabama fans yeah. earlier in the year. We know how good the team they are. Mike Young has that team playing very well. And I, like you, man, Gonzaga, I'm, you can't it's, talk about them enough. They, got, they have three All-Americans, and it's it, – they got more All-Americans than the, the Avengers, man. Like, it's crazy. It's, they are they – are, I've got some notes for them here when we get to my notes, but they are really, really good. And here's the thing. You get past the you – know, you talk about the three All-Americans, and I assume you're talking Suggs, uh, Timmy, and Kispert. Ayayi is another guy who is incredible. Yeah. And then 
Andrew Nimbard, who and it, it's Florida. it's just insult to injury. Whenever they, they, this story, it gets replayed every time they blow somebody out. Where they say, "Well, Andrew Nimbard was prepared to sit out the season until they gave him eligibility," and you, you know, you, you were all for eligibility being granted. And now you're thinking, "Well, come on, it's not even fair anymore because Andrew Nimbard is playing for Gonzaga." It's it's crazy. I, this this um, they they have a real chance of going the whole way. Like if they're if going into selection Sunday, uh, if they're not undefeated, I will be shocked. So well, you're, really. you're going uh, back on your St. Mary's comment that they'll uh, drop no, one. Not to really, because I've got I've got something in my notes about that. Uh, not shocked, but it would be a little bit surprising. It would be an upset. That's right. All right, well, let's get into those notes, uh, see what you got planned. What did you see from the college basketball weekend and beyond? We'll give you the whole past week because we didn't have a show last week. So what have you seen since we last spoke? Of course, these are my notes. It's every college basketball weekend. Write them down and I bring them to you, the listener. So, James, here are my notes. We had a whole week off for the holidays, and James – Alabama hasn't played since the 22nd. Seven days, a whole week. I have a fever, and the only cure is more basketball. <laughs> also, I, I don't think this is the right time in the right climate for me to be declaring that I have a fever. Probably not. But I do, and, and, and college basketball is the only cure. If you're listening to this right now, and fancy yourself a gambler, let me give you a free tip. Gonzaga, plus 350 to win the national championship. It's free money. <laughs> yeah. Plus 350, bet the house on it because they, they are something else. Gonzaga has a serious chance to go undefeated. That is until they have to play that one game on the road against St. Mary's, <laughs> the Gales, that they always lose. And speaking of gambling, let's talk about gambling a second ago. Please do not bet on Gonzaga in the West Coast Conference Tournament because they will let you down in that <laughs> semifinal game against the Dons. Of the Dons every year. Every time they will let, they will let you down. It used to be BYU, but we've progressed past that. We've, we've upgraded to the Dons. Yeah. The Donnies. James, you know what the S in Kentucky Wildcats stands for? What does that stand for? Six straight losses. They are. You see him against Louisville? I watched that that game, and it was. was Olivier Saar. Where has this guy been? I don't. It confuses me because it reminds me a lot of Kerry Blackshear going to Florida, but, like, actually bad. Like, Kerry Blackshear, he just didn't fit in at Florida, right? Right. At Kentucky, Olivier Saar was supposed to be, like, the big, you know, the best transfer on the market. And he just hasn't done anything. Nothing at all. I, I think they said he hasn't made a basket in the last two games. Is that right? I think it's since December 7th, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. He hasn't, hasn't made, made a shot, man. Yeah. Great. ACC players, first team, all ACC, right? Crazy. Wow. If you're listening, speaking of, if you're listening to my voice right now, hear me out. Listen to me right now. Don't do it. Don't write off Kentucky, please. <laughs> I care about you. Please do not ride off the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, please, I care about you and everything you do. If you're listening to me right now, do not – don't say it. Don't think about it. Leave them alone. They've lost six straight. Leave them alone. Let them lose more. Do not say it out loud. Don't even think about it. James, conference play starts today. Strap in. Batten down the hatches. Katie, bar the door. Conference play is here. You want to be sick to your stomach? Look at the conference schedule. Mm. Alabama starts with Ole Miss on the road at Tennessee, Florida at Auburn, and then reward it with the game in Rupp Arena. You know where Alabama starts out the conference schedule at, James? Where do they start? In the gutter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How the hell? Listen, how the hell is Georgia 7-0? and eight? I don't know, and I'm I'm kind of kind of the inverse of the Kentucky situation. I'm just not going to talk about it because 
if I declared them the worst team in the SEC and they they go on to be some NCAA tournament, they I saw they got like ten votes in the AP poll this week. Are they better? I, I can't. Georgia, is Georgia better without Anthony Edwards? People I, are asking. I, they are asking. They are asking. Trust me, I know they are asking. <laughs> You're asking, James. <laughs> you asked me before the show. Yeah. Talk about it. Who would have thought that on December 29th there would be four undefeated SEC schools and among them would be Georgia and Missouri? Mm. Even more extreme, who would have thought that among the teams with losses, among the teams with six losses most specifically, (laughs) would be Kentucky? James, don't do it. Please don't say it. I promise. not going to do it. On either end. I'm not, I'm not talking about Georgia or Kentucky. If you're listening to my voice, please don't do it. Please don't say it about Kentucky. Please. I promise you. Don't do it. Attention schedule makers. SOS does not mean strength of schedule. It means save our ship. It's a distress <laughs> signal. Stop scheduling the hard teams. It's not helping anyone. Look at Arkansas right now. Look at them. Yeah, please. Posting their way into conference play. That will be the lingering effect of this pandemic season. It's conference uh, college basketball scheduling. It no longer means SOS is no longer strength of schedule. It's save our ship. I mean, really, I don't think you have to look any further for that than Georgia. Like I said, they just got votes in the AP poll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ten of them. Ten votes in the AP poll. They haven't played anybody. That ends my notes. A distress call to conference schedule, uh, college basketball schedule makers, please take it easy. Take a step back. Play Mississippi School for the Blind. It won't hurt you, I promise. Mississippi Valley State and Chicago State. They're not looking for games this year, but next year, give them a call. Schedule them twice. (laughs) It's not going to hurt you. Those are my notes. All right. Uh, Well, let's go ahead here and wrap up the show with our pick'ems. Uh, for the SEC slate over the next couple days. We're going to go through Tuesday and Wednesday's games. Kind of like the NBA has opening night that's two nights long. We're going to go ahead and consider the next two days opening night for the SEC conference schedule. So, Luke, give us our games and our lines so we can uh, go ahead and tell people what we think. All right, James, you lead off. I've got five games for you. If you're listening, we are not professional bookmakers or anything like that, but we do no. uh, uh, sometimes some of us in this uh, podcast like to gamble on the sports. Uh, some of us, some of us, some of us, not speaking <laughs> for anyone. Uh, but I've got five games for, for you from the SEC this week. Uh, starting out, James, Mississippi State at Georgia. Georgia is a four-point favorite at home. I'm going to take the Bulldogs. I'm going to do it. I know I said they were going to be the worst team in the SEC, but you know what? They're, they're so, they, they got votes in the AP poll. What am I supposed to do? Vote against, go against them? Yeah, right. And uh, I, I don't know who to take. This is a toss-up for me. This is a pick-up for me. I'm going to take uh, Georgia as well. But this game, Mississippi State might cover because this, this game, this is the first real game that either Georgia or Mississippi State have played all year. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm going to take Georgia. Give me Georgia. Uh, next game, Arkansas at Auburn. Auburn is a three-point dog at home. James, who you got? I'm going with Arkansas. I think that, uh, you know, sure, they, they played lesser competition throughout the whole non-conference schedule, but they really seem to have found a rotation. Musselman knows who he can trust, knows who he can put out there, and they've developed some chemistry. It's easy to develop chemistry when you're up 40 throwing lobs to each other over the rim. So I'm going to take Arkansas on this one. I'm taking Arkansas as well. I'm taking Arkansas and the points, uh, three points on the road against Auburn. Uh, they got that one guy that we talked about off air, James, me and you, we need to stop having these off air conversations. <laughs> Bring him on the air. off air. Uh, the guy, he's like seven foot one. He's all shoulders and elbows. He, he, I hate him. But Connor Vanover, a.k.a. Arkansas Dirk. And if you're wondering, did he get that when he got to the university? No, he's been named that or nicknamed that since high school. All right, very interesting. Thank you, James. 
next we move to Florida at Vandy. Florida, uh, six-point favorite on the road in Memorial Gymnasium. Uh, I'll go first. I've got Florida and the points. Vanderbilt, I have no faith in them. This is one of those where if you can get an alternate point line and take Florida by 10 to 20, go ahead and do it. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. You heard it here first, folks. Take it 10 to 20 alternate line, Florida against Vanderbilt. Whatever the odds, it's minus 6,000 odds. Take yeah. Uh, next game we got, James, we have eight Texas A&M at LSU. LSU is an eight-point favorite at home against A&M. Who you got? You know, I, I'm actually – I'm struggling on this one because eight I feel like is quite quite a big margin. And I'm not sure why Florida has less of a margin against Vanderbilt than LSU does against A&M. I, I can't put it together in my head. So, I'm going to take – I'm going to take – Texas A&M with the plus eight, but I think LSU will win straight up. I've got LSU and the points. You forget, James, that Javante Smart is back from the COVID list this week. And uh, I've got LSU and the points. But let's move on. What I believe is the best game from the conference this week, Tennessee at Missouri, two high-ranked teams uh, two really experienced teams. We talked about Tennessee earlier in Missouri. Conzo Martin's squad is playing very well. Tennessee is a four-point favorite on the road in Mizzou Arena. James, tell us what you got. I got Tennessee. I, I think that they're I, – I, look, I know. We just put Missouri in our, my impress list. I really like what they're doing. They got the veteran leadership. But Tennessee, we, we just raved about them for <laughs> quite a while. They are quite an impressive basketball team. and. I just don't know if Missouri or anyone, for that matter, has the depth in the SEC to run with them. I'm actually going against you here, James. I'm going to fade you on this one. Give me Mizzou at home. I think they – I mean, they've played really well this year. They had one struggle game, but who doesn't? So did Tennessee against Colorado. It's one of the first games of the year. Yeah. Uh, give me Mizzou to win. A four-point dog. They're going to upset them. All right. Well – uh, as Luke has made abundantly clear, we are no experts in this field. If you want to take our advice, that is completely up to you. Like, look, if you need to know who that isn't on your radar, you should look out for in a basketball game, we're your guys. But you need to know who to pick on the on the betting line, the betting odds. We'll, we'll see how, how this week goes. We'll see how this goes. I have little faith, but we'll see how this goes. Uh, Take uh, – please, I, I say again, we are not experts on this. Please do not listen to me and then come to my house asking for the money <laughs> loss at my behest. Please don't do it. All right. Well, that'll do it uh, for today's show. Um, it's been quite a show. We've talked about uh, a lot today. Uh, so, hope you enjoyed. Hope you get a chance to listen uh, to at least the previews before those games get kicked underway and get to the rest uh, when you have time. For Luke Ratliff, I am James Fletcher, and you're listening to the Bama Baseline Podcast.